Meet Miranda. She's 42 and for the past year has had skin rashes on her face and chest, strained joint pain, and fatigue. She saw her primary Horana test for arthritis and ruled that out, so he sent her to a dermatologist to explore the rashes and a physical therapist for the body pain. The dermatologist felt like it was an allergic reaction and gave her an antihistamine and a steroid cream. This helped, and the rashes got better. However, every time she would stop using the cream, it would come back. Now, while playing with the creams, Miranda started seeing the PT, where she learned different stretches and strengthening exercises for her back and core to help her with the pain in her arms and legs. She felt stronger, but unfortunately, the pain didn't subside. In fact, she would often feel worse and more sore after doing the exercises. And on top of all this, she was still tired without an answer. So she went to see another primary who ran more blood work and saw that she had a positive ANA or anti-nuclear antibody. And she was told that this could be absolutely nothing, as some people may just have this. However, it could also mean she may have lupus. Miranda went home and started Googling like crazy. She was so lost and confused. Did she have lupus? Her doctor didn't explain anything and referred her to a rheumatologist. She called the rheumatologist for an appointment, only to find out there was nothing available for four months. Ah! So she waited and waited for that appointment. And while she waited, she continued to research and saw that being diagnosed with lupus is not as easy as it sounds. And a lot was involved. And when she finally got in with the rheumatologist, and after they ran lots and lots of different tests, she did get the lupus diagnosis. However, through her research, she learned that even if it was lupus, many conventional approaches didn't get to the root, and that's when she sought me out. I knew we had to find the underlying reason for the elevated ANA and connect this to the rest of her body to get to the bottom of this for her. Every year, Thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Miranda, her lupus diagnosis, and the confusion, frustration, and fear that she was feeling after being diagnosed. Joining me on the show today to talk more about Miranda's case is Dr. Tiffany Kaplan. Dr. Tiffany is a chiropractic physician and a certified functional medicine practitioner. She and her husband, Dr. Brent Kaplan, are the founders of the Central Coast Center for Integrative Health in Ventura, California. Dr. Tiffany's ambition is sparked from her drive to give back hope to those individuals who may have lost it. She's seen firsthand how the current healthcare model is failing many individuals with chronic diseases, which I can certainly agree with as well. She's grateful every day that she's able to help patients regain their health that they deserve, especially those who have not been able to be helped elsewhere. Now, she says there's nothing better than the feeling of knowing you've made a positive impact on someone else's life. Dr. Tiffany, I am right there with you on that statement. So excited to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about um, lupus and what we do with functional medicine because that's where a lot of people lose hope as they feel like there's nothing they can do for this this disease, this diagnosis, and we know that it couldn't be further from the truth. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So lupus is an autoimmune disease, and we see more and more of it these days. In your practice, how common is it? And in general, how common is it to be diagnosed with lupus? 
So in general, there's estimated estimated about uh, 5 million people worldwide that have lupus, maybe about 1.5 million in the United States. Um, I think those are probably underestimated, in my opinion, just because it is a very complicated disease to get diagnosed, and a lot of people can have it without knowing it. Um, it affects mostly women. About 90% of all people with lupus are women in their childbearing years, so ages like 15 to 44. Um, and it's very hard to get an accurate diagnosis, especially in kind of the standard model. So that's where it could be people having symptoms, um, random things that they, they kind of assume are normal for even decades sometimes before they get help and they figure out that this actually is a autoimmune disease that they're dealing with. Now, what are some common symptoms of lupus? Yeah, so some of the most common symptoms are going to be fatigue, number one. Um, pain is very common, so particularly like joint pain or swelling of the joints, body aches. A lot of times they'll describe it as like a flu-like feeling, flu-like achiness, um, kind of stomach pain, nausea, skin rashes. So a lot of people, when they picture lupus, they, they look at that uh, butterfly rash that people can get across their cheeks and their nose. Um, that can happen with lupus. Not everybody with lupus has the butterfly rash. Um, but then they can also get things like mouth ulcers, couple syndromes that typically go along with lupus, like Sjogren's syndrome, which you get really dry eyes, dry mouth, dry nose, um, or Raynaud's where you can get your fingers or toes turning white or blue when you get cold, with cold exposure. So those are really common to see with people, um, but it could be pretty much anything. Other symptoms, uh, lupus is a systemic autoimmune disease. So it can attack different parts of the body, and it always, doesn't always attack the same thing, even in, in people that have, um, you know, two people have the lupus, they can have a different presentation of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it so confusing because there are so many symptoms and like many autoimmune diseases, that's kind of the case here too. So how is lupus typically diagnosed? So it's typically diagnosed uh, with lab testing, blood testing, urine testing, um, physical examination, symptoms. So a lot of times when somebody suspects that their kid have lupus, they'll get sent to a, a rheumatologist and they'll do different um, testing. It, there is um, about 11 different criteria that they use to be able to diagnose it as lupus and you have to meet um, a certain number of those criteria in different categories, you know, have enough of those things wrong where then they can actually give you that label or that diagnosis. So that's where it can take, you know, a long time to actually get um, that correct answer of like what's going on. And it takes on average about seven years of somebody having symptoms before they get the diagnosis. And so that's kind of the typical path is people start to, you know, get the fatigue or get the joint pain and maybe blame it on age or feel like that's just normal um, when really it's actually something going on under the surface. So it could be going on for years before they actually get the diagnosis. And some of the diagnosis criteria, it's kind of broken into those 11 are broken into two different categories. There's like the clinical criteria. So they're looking for things like the photosensitivity, the rashes, having um, kidney disease or having uh, blood abnormalities, because again, lupus can affect all of the different systems of the body. So clinically looking at 
some of those issues. And then there's the immunologic criteria. So things like having a positive ANA marker on the blood test um, or other positive antibodies. So just having a positive ANA isn't enough to say that you have lupus. Um, some people can have uh, a positive ANA and not have anything autoimmune going on. They can have had it passed on genetically or um, it doesn't always mean that there's something autoimmune. So just that one marker alone doesn't tell us a lot. Um, there's other antibodies though that when these are positive, it can it can show up a little bit more specific to having lupus. So there's the anti-double-stranded DNA um, marker, which is in about 80% of all lupus patients with active disease. There's the anti-Smith DNA um, antibodies. There's uh, anti-phospholipid antibodies, which are positive in about a third of patients. And people with positive antiphospholipid antibodies um, can get recurring blood clots and it can cause some pregnancy complications. So it's always good to know if that's something that's positive. So that's another antibody marker. Um, other blood tests, usually doctors will check complement levels. There's complement C3 and complement C4, which are parts of the immune system. So it kind of helps see how active the immune response is. So there's few different markers that they can test on blood, but the other big part of diagnosis is just looking at, do they have clinical criteria? Do they have the signs and the symptoms that they have lupus? So do they have the joint pain? Do they have the ulcerations in the mouth? Do they have the rash? Do they have those different signs or symptoms of the common things? Right. Now, do you think that the confusion lies in the fact that maybe people are seeing different practitioners and no one is looking at them to kind of see those 11 factors? Or is it that maybe some of those factors aren't present at the exact same time? Yeah, um, all of those. So one of the problems is that when you get sent to a specialist, like if you get sent to a rheumatologist, a lot of times they're more concerned with the joints and they're more concerned with specific body parts that could be being attacked with the autoimmune disease, but they're not looking at how the other symptoms you have going on are actually all connected to, uh, to an underlying problem. Um, it's also really common to have other autoimmune diseases going on at the same time. So it's common for people with lupus to also have things like rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's or Sjogren's, right? So they could have these other diagnoses or other problems then, um, it makes it confusing for the doctor to be like, oh, well, maybe it's lupus because, you know, you have all of these weird different symptoms going on, different body parts being attacked, but no one's really looking at that whole picture then kind of just separating out the body into different uh, symptoms or different issues when really they're all one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that disjointed care that I always talk about, you know, that each doctor is looking at their own specific field or specific body parts. So people aren't looking at the picture, which is definitely unfortunate. So, you know, even though it takes a while, once someone is diagnosed, the traditional approach is typically immune suppression drugs. And, you know, unfortunately, that's really something that seldom gets to the root. So can you talk about why that approach is one-sided and what is a more comprehensive functional approach um, that we want to look at? 
Yeah. So in the standard medical realm, when you look at something that's autoimmune and you see something like lupus, we know that it's a, an overactivation of the immune system. That's kind of like what's driving the tissue destruction that happens in the body. So the goal of traditional medicine is to suppress the immune system. If it's overactive, let's shut it down. And so this can help get somebody out of like a flared up state, but it doesn't actually fix their reason or ask the question, why was the immune system overactive to begin with? And so that's really what we start to look at more in a functional medicine realm. Our favorite question is always why, because it's not enough to just have a label and know what's a disease somebody is um, suffering with. We have to know why it happened in the first place if you ever want to fix it. And so the standard model is very just focused on symptom management, trying to suppress the overactive immune system. You're also usually given other drugs for the symptoms that you're having. So maybe antidepressants or pain medications or sleep medications or blood pressure medications. And, um, but still, these, these medications don't actually address why those symptoms were there in the first place. And we know that symptoms are always the way your body tells you that something is actually wrong. So in, in the functional realm, that's always what we, we look to answer is why is it happening? Why is there this dysfunction um, under the surface? What are some ways that you look at that and find the why? And then what's the more compre- comprehensive approach in addressing it? Yeah, so we look for you know what we call the root causes. So similar things that can be happening um, causing the body or the immune system to not function properly. So we know a big root of autoimmune disease as a whole is leaky gut. Having a poor barrier system, about 80% of your immune system lives in your gut to help you know, protect you from foreign invaders. And um, that's where your immune system will get most exposure to things that we're coming into contact with on a daily basis. So maybe foods or things in your environment. Um, so looking at What's going on in the person's gut? Are they reacting to foods? Are they reacting to things in their environment? So looking for toxins and chemicals and sources that they could be getting exposed to and not know it. Um, Looking for nutrient deficiencies. Most people with um, autoimmunity are deficient in some basic nutrients that are needed to regulate the immune system. Things like vitamin D and omega-3s and glutathione. Um, These things are really important to help your immune system just function regularly. We look for things like underlying infections. So sometimes those can even be asymptomatic. You don't know that you don't know that you have an infection going on, but of course that's going to tax the immune system. Um, or even blood sugar problems, hormonal imbalances, uh, adrenal gland problems, mental emotional problems. So all of these things that we look at as being contributing factors to trigger an autoimmune response, but also perpetuate the autoimmune response. So keep it, keep it in motion. And when we find out what's causing it in the person's diet or lifestyle, um, we can, we can address it in a more natural way. So we're actually fixing the cause of the problem instead of masking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's something I definitely do in my practice as well. And we need to know the why so that then we can address it. Now, Dr. Tiffany, what are some of your favorite tests to try to get to this root? So you were talking about leaky gut, which is so, so important. Are you using food sensitivity testing? Are you using stool testing? I'd love to hear what you guys are doing in your practice. 
Yeah, for food sensitivities, we found really the gold standard um, seems to be the elimination diet. So when we take out certain foods, we can see how the body responds. A lot of times people feel better when they take out inflammatory foods, things that they're eating on a regular basis without even knowing that they're causing problems. When they take those out, they notice a difference and an improvement in their symptoms. And so we can use food as medicine in that regard. So we usually do an elimination diet to start um, to help them figure out food sensitivities. For leaky gut, we will a lot of times do stool testing. So stool testing, we can look at the microbiome. We can see if you have any overgrowth of bad things that shouldn't be there, bacteria, yeast, parasites. Um, do you have any missing digestive enzymes? Because if you're even if you're eating a perfect diet, if you can't digest it and absorb it, it's not going to do you as much good. So we want to look at that aspect. Um, we can see immune markers in the gut. We can see signs of leaky gut uh, in the stool test itself. So that's a really common, but also just simple blood tests we can use to look for things like nutrient deficiencies, blood sugar problems. Um, how your white blood cells look, all of those things we can do just on a simple blood test or cortisol test with saliva. So those are really common tests that we run. Great. And then once you find the imbalances, do you typically see that when someone has lupus that they have several imbalances? Yeah, very commonly. It's, um, it's funny how our bodies don't work as separate systems like we kind of think it does, right? Mm -hmm. Like your endocrine system that controls your hormones regulates everything in the body, right? All your cells get the hormone signals to respond. So if there's a hormone imbalance, it's going to affect all the cells. Or having a gut imbalance is, we know there's a brain-gut connection. So people that have leaky gut or they have inflamed guts can also have brain fog and can have depression and anxiety. Um, and so we know that looking at the person as a whole is such an important part of that. And yeah, there's no way to really separate out those problems. Yeah. And once you find these imbalances and, you know, I know when I look at autoimmunity in people, you know, it could be five, six, seven, even 10 imbalances. I'm assuming you're probably seeing the same. Where do you usually start? Yeah, good question. Because, yeah, you're right. There's usually multiple imbalances and um, diet is always a good place to start because that's something we do all day, every day is we eat. So the, ch the choices that we choose, right, if we can just make some simple changes and eat less inflammatory, maybe grains or dairy or sugar, um, less processed things, and we can switch to more fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and those um, foods that are not causing problems for our immune system, not causing inflammation, that's a huge step. If, if people can start making a dietary change today, like that's something that's going to have an impact on everything else. It'll impact things like blood sugar and hormones and gut. So diet is always a good place to start. Testing is also good just to see where the imbalances really are. So most people, again, are deficient in things like vitamin D. Usually getting their vitamin D up is, a, is another place, a staple, um, because that helps regulate the immune system. So I'd say that's for most people across the board where we would kind of start with things. 
Yeah, that's great. And for everyone listening with vitamin D, you know, I know we always talk about lab ranges and typically those ranges are really wide. So here in the US, the range is usually about 30 to 100, which is a huge range. And so oftentimes if you're 31 or 32, it's not going to be flagged. And if you go to a regular doctor, they won't even call you to say something is going on. But 31, 32 is on the very, very low end of the range. And so ideally, and especially if someone who has autoimmunity, we want to be more towards 50, 60, you know, maybe even 70. So that's very, very important. Dr. Tiffany, when you are addressing lupus, is there anything that you do that's more specific to lupus versus addressing other autoimmune diseases? There are a couple differences, really not too many, even though lupus is um, different in, in terms of it being a systemic autoimmune disease, where most autoimmune diseases will attack maybe one part of the body, one type of tissue. Lupus can attack multiple different types of tissues in the body or different organ systems. So it is a little bit more complicated. That's why it's good to have that overall view of the body. Um, but there, there are certain foods that are different. Like in with lupus, it's recommended to stay away from alfalfa sprouts and bean sprouts, um, which are thought to upregulate the immune system. Some doctors even recommend staying away from garlic because it can do that too. And it's been shown in animal studies, maybe not in, in human studies. But another thing that makes lupus unique or one, one thing that a lot of people with lupus have in common is photosensitivity meaning they have a reaction to the sun or sometimes even like fluorescent lighting. So knowing that could be an issue and, and being able to take steps to actively avoid overexposure or direct exposure to things like the sunlight or the fluorescent lights, if you can do that, that's also very important. I've, I've definitely had a couple patients where that was one of the bigger triggers for them. Like she, one of my patients recognized that every time she would be um, outside for the day or even getting exposed to the sun like in her car ride to work or something she would be more tired more fatigued she would just have all her symptoms worse that day and we figured out it was the photosensitivity that she was having so it's um, a really common thing to have with lupus and that could be something that's a big key for people to do is to minimize that exposure if that's making them worse. Yeah. And things like fluorescent lights, you know, that's something that, you know, with autoimmunity and just in general, when someone's not feeling well, you know, that can make a lot of things worse and create brain fog and other issues. So any way that we can minimize that is always very helpful. So Dr. Tiffany, once we address things functionally and look at the whole body, what type of results do you see? Yeah, we see some pretty remarkable results, which is really what has driven my passion for helping this population because at first, you know, you hear it, you can't, you can't put it in remission. You can't do anything about it. It's just something you have for the rest of your life. But what we've seen is the complete opposite. We've seen people taken off drugs. They were told they were going to be on for the rest of their life. Um, we were seeing people um, be able to gain normal function again in their daily life. So one of the first lupus patients that I worked with, she had lupus and Sjogren. She had been working with a whole team of different uh, specialist practitioners, and she was on a whole host of different medications. So she was on a couple different immunosuppressants. She was on stuff for sleep, for anxiety, for depression, uh, for pain. And she still came in with all the typical symptoms, fatigue, dry eyes, dry mouth, headaches, joint pain, brain fog. Um, and she wasn't able to like work anymore. She'd work maybe a couple days a week and be out for the rest of the week because it just would wipe her out. 
and it, she didn't have a good quality of life. She couldn't plan going out with family or friends because she didn't know how she was going to feel that day. Um, and so just within about six months of working together, she had gotten off all her medications. Like her doctors kept, her specialists kept checking her labs and stuff. Her antibodies kept coming down and they're like, wow, you don't, you don't need this anymore. And then her depression went away. You don't need this anymore. And so she wasn't having any of the, uh, symptoms. She wasn't having any flare-ups anymore. Flare-ups used to send her to the hospital in the past and she wasn't getting that. And she was able to return back to work full-time, which is something she almost gave up on mentally because she didn't think she could do that. So it's, it's really rewarding when we get to see like just simple changes in people's life make such a huge difference. Oh my gosh. Really, we just work on, you know, things that we talk about, diet, lifestyle, um, vitamin D and stuff like that. And it made such a big difference. Yeah, that's amazing, you know, and I see a lot of that in my practice as well. And like you said, I mean, it is complex, but at the same time, the changes don't have to be things that overhaul your whole life. Sometimes it's just a few simple things, but putting them together in the right way and timing it right can really have such an amazing effect. That's really, really wonderful. Now, I know that you... um I know that your specialty in autoimmunity came not just from your professional experience, but also from experience with a family member as well. Can you share a little bit about the story? Yeah. So I really got interested in, in lupus when I had a family member diagnosed. I have a lot of autoimmune disease in my family. So I've always been watching for, you know, Hashimoto's and rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's and all these things. But then I, I found out somebody got diagnosed with lupus and actually made a lot of sense looking back because they had been struggling for years getting diagnosed with everything from depression to fibromyalgia to arthritis, like all of these different things. And then it started to really like make sense like, oh, wow, this actually lupus this whole time. And so that's really what got me interested in looking into more what resources were out there. Uh, and I realized that there really wasn't anything good, especially for patients. Like the, the books and stuff that you can find were all for practitioners. It's for, made for medical students, not for people that are in the public to understand, you know, what lupus is or how you can deal with it. And all the treatment approaches were all very just medication based, like here, try this drug. And so we wanted to do something different um, because of what we were seeing in our practice, seeing how things like simple diet changes, simple lifestyle changes make such a huge difference. Um, me and my husband actually sat down, we started writing a book and we, how we have a, took us a, like a year to write it, but we have a book, the lupus solution. And it really helps people understand what lupus is, understand, um, what causes it, what can cause flare ups, how to avoid them and how to get into remission. Cause we know that that's possible and that's what we help people do, um, in our practice as well. So, that's really what got us interested in lupus was just seeing that my family member going through that and not having the resources and knowing that there was a need to get that information out there. And I know that that's also one of the reasons why you and your husband, Dr. Brent Kaplan, are hosting the Lupus and Autoimmunity Summit, which airs um, on October 21st in 2019. And I'm very honored to be one of the speakers on it as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the summit? Yeah, that was one of our big goals too, is we needed to get this information out there. And what better way to do it than interview all these experts in all these different topics that relate to autoimmune disease, because we know there's so many different aspects to it. Like we were talking about um, earlier, all the different triggers, all the different things that can be going on in somebody's body that can lead to an autoimmune disease. 
we can work on those and we can address them at the root so that we can fix it. And so it was an honor to be able to interview so many different experts on different parts, um, whether it's, you know, diet or whether it's lifestyle, stress management, mental, emotional, being a health, your own health advocate, all of these um, great uh, speakers got to share their, their best tips and tools and um, knowledge on their expertise and, and how it can play a role in, in lupus or just in autoimmunity in general. Um, so it's, it's been really fun and I'm really excited to uh, get this out there and, and people should watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. And for everyone listening, I'm going to post a link to the summit in the show notes, um, as I always do. And um, yeah, I know when um, we had the interview, I actually had the interview with your husband, Dr. Brent, and we talked about the role of the gut. And we went into a lot of nitty gritty, but in a very fun and interesting way. So very um, kind of easy explanations, as I always do. But it's how the gut affects our immune system. And all of the details that go along with it. So I think it's something that whether you have lupus or really any autoimmune disease or just want to learn more about the function of the gut, it's going to be really helpful for you. And I know you have, you know, 30 other really amazing speakers. So I'm excited to share it with everyone. Well, Dr. Tiffany, as we wrap up here, what would you say are your three best pieces of advice for those that are dealing with lupus or with autoimmunity in general? Yeah, I think the first thing is to learn how to listen to your body because we know that our bodies will tell us when something is not right or something is wrong, we need to fix something, but we just, we just have to learn how to listen to that. So if you are experiencing fatigue or if you are experiencing pain or you're experiencing um, you know, all these different different symptoms, symptoms are the way your body's telling you, hey, you got to pay attention. And so you can start even just journaling or writing things down of like, what makes you feel better? What makes you feel worse? Paying attention to your day to day, because don't accept feeling like that. That's not, that's not normal. So we have to redefine what normal is and really start to listen to our bodies. I think also becoming your own health advocate in this day and age, we can't rely on our broken medical system to fix us, right? It is not meant to help chronic disease, especially autoimmune disease. Um, and we know that the medications aren't necessarily going to fix anything. So being your own health advocate in, in terms of asking questions, doing some research, reading, um, asking, being open with your doctor. If you're not comfortable with the, the healthcare provider that you're seeing, find somebody that you're comfortable with that takes time to listen to you, um, that can, that will run the right test and actually get you answers. If you feel like you're getting nowhere, it's probably because you're getting nowhere. So be your own health advocate and start with little changes. Like I would, I recommend that if, if somebody has not tried to change their diet at all, start by going grain free, you know, just do one thing or, or dive into an elimination diet, but start with the little changes because then you can see how your body responds. You don't have to do everything at once. Um, even in, even something as simple as changing your diet is going to have an impact and ripple into everything else in your life. So just start with those, listen to your body, do your research and, and ask questions. And I think that that gets you a long way. Mm -hmm. You are speaking my language. Um, these are mm -hmm. all great. And I so, so agree with that. Well, Dr. Tiffany, thank you so much for being here and for giving us all of this wonderful information. I really appreciate having you on and your time. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. It's been an honor. When it comes to lupus, a lot of different factors are at play. I will tell you more about what we did for Miranda in just a second. But first, if you want to find out more or contact my guest, Dr. Tiffany Kaplan, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number 31. There you will see all the detailed show notes and the resources she and I discuss, and also more information about the Lupus and the Autoimmunity Summit that Dr. Tiffany and her husband, Dr. Brent, are hosting, which starts on October 21st, 2019. I'm actually a featured speaker on that summit, and my interview is all about the role of digestion and autoimmunity, so definitely check it out. The link will be in the show notes. And for Miranda, we started with her diet. She was not eating particularly well. So the first thing we did was take out gluten and processed sugar. We then did a food sensitivity test through one of my favorite labs, Vibrant America, and saw that she was sensitive to corn and dairy. So we removed those as well. Miranda was not used to eating this way. So she was really nervous about how this would go. But I supported her through this and together we came up with a food plan and lots and lots of meal ideas and recipes. So it was not as hard as she anticipated. She had a smoothie with fruit and collagen protein for breakfast, or she would rotate eggs with sweet potato wedges and some vegetables. And she also loved doing gluten-free, grain-free protein pancakes. These are really delicious. And if you guys want to try them, I'll put the recipe for those in the show notes. For lunch, she would have a big salad with salmon or some grilled chicken with brown rice and a vegetable. Dinner was protein like chicken, beef, turkey, or fish. And then she rotated sweet potatoes, quinoa, brown rice, millet, and butternut squash for her carbs and added in veggies like zucchini, green beans, asparagus, and sauteed greens. She realized that she had plenty of options and really enjoyed preparing these meals. Just taking out gluten, dairy, and corn made a huge difference. Her rash was 50% better and her joint pain was nearly gone. Now she was still feeling tired, so we needed to go a bit deeper. Autoimmunity typically stems from things that stress the immune system, so we dug to see what else could be going on. Infections play a big role in autoimmunity, and after some further blood testing, we saw that she had Epstein-Barr virus, and not just a past infection, but her infection was actually reactivated and active right now. EBV can cause many fatigue symptoms, but it is also an infection that can trigger autoimmunity, so we were definitely onto something here. And by the way, if you want to learn more about EBV and how you can properly test for it, plus all the things that you can do, I interviewed Dr. Kasha Kynes, the country's leading expert on EBV, and that was in episode four. So definitely check that out. And for Baranda, we used the antiviral protocol, which included lysine, N-acetylcysteine, selenium, zinc, along with monolaurin avail. And after five weeks on the protocol, she started to get her energy back. We retested to make sure the EBV went dormant, which it did, and then we continued the protocol for a few more weeks just to make sure it was completely down. With this huge viral load off her immune system's plate, her immune system was able to better process what was happening and the attack on her body was lower. We were able to see this with a decrease in her autoimmune antibodies. I then put Miranda on a maintenance protocol with a good quality multivitamin, I used the DFH Complete Multi, and a good quality Omega, the Omega Avail Ultra, and a product I often use with autoimmunity called Immune Mod A, which helps to balance the immune system naturally. We also optimized her vitamin D, 
with vitamin D Supreme, which is a combination of 5,000 international units of vitamin D with some vitamin K, because those two should always go together. And we also added glutathione as it's a wonderful immune balancer. She was feeling great and so excited that she didn't need to use steroids or other immune suppression drugs. Mystery solved. Now, of course, as always, every person is different and the triggers for autoimmunity are not always the same for each person. I know how confusing autoimmune can be, and I also know that there's not a ton of really good explanations out there. So in the next episode, which is going to be episode 32, I am working on a solo show to help you demystify autoimmunity. So no matter what autoimmune it may be, I will show you the main triggers, how to find them, and what could be done for each one. I'm really excited about the solo episode and hope that you're going to tune in and check it out. Now, if Miranda sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to the show because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. And if you guys like the show, so, so appreciate it if you can go on and write and review the podcast, even if you just write a few words. These reviews really help to spread the word about the podcast so that more people can see it and learn that the answers are out there and that they're not alone in their health journeys. When it comes to solving your health issues, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week on Health Mysteries Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.